There's some measure of comfort in having things in our lives sorted out in identifiable categories. This is work. This is for fun. This is necessary. And this is self-indulgent, although it's well-earned. Or I'm a student. Or I'm a professional of some sort. Uh, I'm an avid reader. I'm a poet. I'm a teacher, a uh, musician, a gardener, a parent, a friend, a loner. I'm still young. I'm getting older. Cross-culturally, there's a tendency toward having some basic framework or map for the life processes, the stages that we go through. And typically, they're marked by those places in our lives that we have transitions from one phase to another. In Hindu culture, there are four stages identified. One is that of the student whose job it is to collect knowledge, uh, to develop character, and to learn to shoulder responsibilities. The second is the householder who is expected to raise a family and contribute to society. And it's not until after your kids have reached adulthood that you're supposed to begin a life of what they call the forest dweller, where you reflect on things and start considering all the scriptures you learned as a student, all the lessons you learned as a householder, uh, and move into contemplation and meditation. And the fourth stage is that of the sannyasin or the renouncer, one who actually lets go of all of the ties to society and begins to focus entirely on liberation from the life cycle, the wheel of life, rebirth, death and rebirth. Now, most cultures consider the important transitions to be birth, the onset of puberty, marriage, life-threatening illnesses, and finally, death. These transitions correlate with five of the seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, four of the seven traditional uh, Jewish celebrations for life processes and changes, and graduating from school, divorce, retirement, at the end of uh, work, Uh, Those things are counted among major transitions in larger-scale societies. In the film City Slickers, while talking to his character's children, I believe, um, actor-comedian Billy Crystal kind of lays the whole thing out like this. Value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have choices. It goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you can't. You do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. 
and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Fifties, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Sixties, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. The seventies, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at two o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around ten and breakfast the night before. You spend time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You'll end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse your wife can't stand, but who you'll call mama. Any questions? We laugh because we recognize too much of this is real, <laughs> don't we? But like Billy Crystal did in his spiel, in Western cultures, we seem to focus a good deal more on uh, chronology than on specta- uh, the expectations of society like the Hindus do. Uh, We make our delineations by events along the way and the rituals and celebrations that accompany them that we now call rites of passage. It was a Belgian anthropologist named Arnold von Finnip who early in the 20th century first coined the phrase rites of passage. Um, These intentionally ritualized celebrations help individuals making the transition, as well as their relatives and friends, pass through these emotionally charged, tense times. Often we either organize around groups of people, with people that are going through those transitions with us, or we create the transition celebrations and rituals from groups that we already belong to. I mean, when we're in school, we, we create peer groups with those who are our age, the same distance from birth and puberty and graduation that we are. Uh, from there, the groups get broken down either even farther and farther by our other subcategories, like our tribal identities, common interests and outlook, and developmental compatibility. You know, the kids that are 12 going on 32 kind of group together, and the kids that are 17 going on 13 kind of group together, (laughs) and make their own flocks. Um, But while age becomes less and less a factor as we, in our grouping as we get older, developmental stages and worldviews remain kind of significant factors. Most rites of passage are religious ceremonies. There's a book that I refer to from time to time up here by a man named James Fowler called The Stages of Faith. Um, And Fowler was inspired by the work of developmental psychologists Piaget, Kohler, and Erickson. And his faith model, in some ways correlates rather closely with some of their uh, overlapping models, particularly Erickson and Kohlberg. Uh, 
Fowler interviewed people from ages 3 to 83 to analyze their ways of living in and finding meaning in the world. The stages that he identifies describe differences in understanding that go a long way toward explaining why there's so many varieties and denominations and faith views. As I was saying before, we form groups around tribal identities, common interests, and also, to some extent, developmental compatibility. That very much includes religious perspective. Let me, as quickly as I can, touch on some of the parts of his theory. Um, A word of warning. We have a tendency, because we've had inklings and scattered insights into what comes next for us along our, our processes, we have a tendency to identify ourselves in the stages beyond the one that we're actually in. Uh, so, here's just a little infor- enough information to throw you. Uh, in stage three, which is called synthetic conventional faith, faith must be synthesized. Uh, it synthesizes values and information. It must provide a basis of identity and outlook. It's a conformist stage in the sense that it's acutely tuned to the expectations and judgments of significant others and doesn't yet have a sure enough grasp on its own identity an autonomous judgment to construct and maintain an independent perspective. Differences of outlook um, with others are experienced as differences in kind of person. Authority is located in the incumbents of tradition or in the consensus of valued face-to-face group. It necessarily takes an emperor has no clothes experience to begin to move one out of that stage. And so I would say we offer a debt of gratitude to those that ran us out of traditional religions for one reason or another. Um, Or the people that started us thinking a different way. In stage four, individuated reflective faith. Um, this, this is particularly critical because it's the transition for late adolescents or adults that must begin to take seriously the burden of responsibility for one's own behavior, commitments, lifestyle, beliefs, and attitudes. The person must face unavoidable tensions, individuality versus being defined by a group, uh, the power of one's strongly felt unexamined feelings versus objectivity and critical reflection, self-fulfillment or self-actualization as primary concern versus service and being for others. 
It's a demythologizing stage. Its dangers in here and its strengths. An excessive confidence in the conscious mind and in critical thought. And a kind of second narcissism. One begins the transition to the next stage when stories, symbols, myths, and paradoxes from one's own or other traditions insist on breaking in upon this tidy faith that we've constructed. Recognition that life is more complex than stage four's logic of clear distinctions and abstract concepts can comprehend push one toward a more multi-leveled approach to the truth. This kind of correlates with Erickson's generativity and self versus self-absorption and stagnation stage. The fifth stage is conjunctive faith, a new reclaiming and reworking of one's past and an opening to the voices of one's deeper self. One recognizes myths, ideal images, and prejudices built deeply into the self-system by virtue of one's nurture within a particular social class, religious tradition, ethnic group, or the like. Alive to paradox and the truth in apparent contradictions, this stage strives to unify opposites in mind and experience. It generates and maintains vulnerability to the strange truths of those who are other. And while it's possible to generalize one's way into plugging various churches into one or another stage, Fowler emphasizes that each stage has the potential for wholeness, grace, and integrity, and for the strength sufficient for, sufficient for either life's blows or its blessings. Though I think it warrants a rather lengthy discussion, which we will not have right now. From this assertion, I take away the lesson that my understanding or beliefs, practices or conclusions about matters religious and or spiritual, is not better than that of another tradition, even if developmentally it is more advanced than some. Nor is it less than, less than in potential to another tradition if that tradition should happen to be including of more individuals who have matured beyond the majority of my group. As best I can gather, we have long been a stage four church. But to move beyond that takes intention and devotion to one's spiritual development. 
It's a choice. It takes work and the heart to do it. When we're ready, we experience a deeper, broader view, or we will. Some transitions just happen to us. I'd like to see somebody try to stop puberty. But other transitions we have to work for. They're not automatic. That does not mean they're not worthwhile. And it does not mean that they're not real. So we organize by these groups and move through our stages of life, making our stressful transitions and rituals and celebrations. But mostly we live in between the occasions. We have a lot of time to wonder about the not infrequently and not infrequently worry about what's next. Just like there is a measure of comfort in nameable particulars, there is a measure of discomfort in things that are not so clearly identified. Different aspects about life that we can't neatly box up. Relaxing into ambiguity is obviously an acquired skill that comes with purposeful practice. As we get older and feel our proximity to the greatest of unknowns narrowing, Perhaps we can take comfort in the Buddhist version of life stages. Death stands out is because most of the life stage celebrations were developed before Buddhism came into existence in the cultures from which it comes. The Buddhist ceremonial officials don't really participate in many of them, but when it comes to death, they're right, they're right there. They're all over it. Death stands out as the one area where Buddhism plays a large role and where the monks are intimately involved. As a matter of fact, in Tibetan Buddhism, three of the six life stages happen between death and the next time you're born. That's pretty exciting. (laughs) It's also believed that a person can attain nirvana in between this life and the next one. I don't know. I would think it's a little easier than here, but, you know, I'm not there, so I can't say. So in Hinduism, Buddhism, and the Western cultures, it's at the end of life, as we get older and even beyond, that we have the greatest opportunity to reflect and contemplate, meditate, and graduate to greater understanding and wisdom, compassion, and joy. 
Yesterday, I was riding my bicycle around LSUS, you know, the, the loop that goes around it. And out the corner of my eye in one of the driveways, I saw a bird, and as I got a little bit beyond it, I realized it was larger than an ordinary bird. So I looked back, and there was a hawk standing in this driveway. Well, hawks are kind of important to me, and I don't need to go into all of that. But so I knew it was odd for this hawk to be standing in the driveway, and I started to move a little closer to see what was going on. And as I neared, the hawk flew away. But there where it was standing was a baby hawk. Now, it took a whole lot for me to leave that little hawk (laughs) in the wild. Uh, But it was in the driveway, and even though this was Saturday, there were cars, a lot of cars in this parking lot, and I didn't want the baby hawk to suffer that that end. And so I pulled the sleeves down on my shirt, and started to lift it up, and it hopped away a little bit. So I herded it over to a grassy area and kind of gave it a boost up the curb. Well, I was feeling pretty good as I drove away on my little bicycle. And not not even a minute later, bluey, I had a flat tire. Well... Walking back to the house, (laughs) I realized that in a way I had just had a real view of the whole life cycle because there was the parent and the baby, the student, the teacher, letting go, and the death of something (laughs) with the birth of a new perspective. (laughs) I was closer to the ground now. Thomas Merton said, we are living in a world that is absolutely transparent. And God is shining through it all the time. God manifests everywhere. In everything. In people, in things, and in nature, and in events. The only thing is, we don't see it. But the gates of heaven, the gate of heaven is everywhere. We can hurry our progress if we want to. We can study where we are and learn more about where we are. Most of all, we can recognize that we are not better than other people because other people are different. We're in different stages. If we think about the possibility of reincarnation, who's to, if somebody is on that maybe we're not particularly fond of, let's we could just guess that they're on their first or second or third life. We may be on our two or three or four hundredth. So who's moving faster? You know, just just something to play with. 
There's a lot to learn everywhere we go and in every day. There's a lot to enjoy even in troubles.